This morning, we have the privilege of hearing testimonies, stories of faith from different members of our congregation. Um, for many of you, you, maybe you were here this Sunday after Christmas. Many of you weren't here because <laughs> it's the Sunday after Christmas. But if you were here, you remember how powerful that Sunday was. And if you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to go to our YouTube page and listen to those testimonies um, because they were incredible, incredibly powerful. And uh, you may have uh, noticed in the gathering song that we sang some words of scripture that is from the book of Revelation that says that the saints will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So I believe the Holy Spirit uses testimonies, uses these stories of faith to encourage us to overcome in the struggles of life. And I love that word overcome because it means we all have a struggle. We're all in a spiritual battle. But it recognizes that through the blood of Jesus Christ and the testimony of his people, we can and we shall overcome. Amen? And so we're going to have five different testimonies today. And our first testimony is from Eliana Tuggy, uh, one of our interns. So come on and share your story with us. Good morning, everybody. So, yes, my story of faith, um, as I think most of you know, uh, I've grown up as a missionary kid, and my family have lived in Uganda for the last, now, nine years. But I was there for six years. And a lot of times when I tell people that, they're like, oh, my goodness, that's crazy. Like, what was your life like, you know? And I'd say, I went to school, and I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, <laughs> what was your life like living in America? Um, but there was one experience that especially kind of made me realize, like, oh, I guess I do live in like a very different context from a lot of people here. Um, I remember very clearly, it was Easter Tuesday, um, and I was in the middle of like wiping down my volleyball because it was kind of gross, and I was planning to play like a pickup game of volleyball with some of my friends. And there was a knocking at the gate of our compound. And so I was like, I'll get it. And I went out. And there were all of these, there were probably like eight-ish like men standing at the gate. And some of them were like in formal wear. And some of them were just in street clothes. And some of them had police uniforms. And I was like, uh, hi. And they're like, hi, can we come in? And I was like, let me go get my dad, and we'll be right back. And so I went, and I told my dad, and he was like, oh, that's weird. I'll go see what's up. And the next thing I knew, they were all, like, coming into the house, and my dad was, like, looked kind of frantic and was talking to them, like, what's going on? You guys, like, I didn't invite you in. They had pushed him to the side, and they started taking all of our, like, like our couch and our... Um, table and just moving, like they were just taking all of our stuff and moving it outside. And I was like, this does not seem good. <laughs> and my mom wasn't home at the time. And so I was like, I think the best thing for me to do right now is get my siblings out of the way and let my dad figure out the situation. So I, I took my, my siblings down into my parents' room. Um, they have like this big metal bolt lock door to their bedroom because it was built during a chaotic time in Uganda. And so we sat in there, and I texted my mom, like, emergency, come home, people taking furniture. And, <laughs> and yeah, so we, we sat in the room, and I remember trying to, like, keep my siblings distracted, but they were, like, looking, like, under the door, and like, they're taking my bed, are they going to take my 
blankie? And I was like, I don't think anyone wants that rag, Raya. Like, I think you're okay. <laughs> um, but it was definitely scary, and like, we didn't know what was going on. And when my mom got back, she was like, I guess the only thing we can do right now is like help them pack stuff because I mean they were literally taking like sheets off of our bed and just dumping everything from our closets into it and like tying it up like a giant what do you call that knapsack and and carrying all of our stuff outside within two hours our house was empty and all of our stuff was out like on the roadside and like, we couldn't call the authorities. You know, there were policemen there. They had a court order to evict us. And we were like, why is this happening? Like, we've been paying rent to our landlady. We have a contract. We only found out after the fact that there was, like, a land dispute happening, apparently, between our landlady and her, like, stepson. And just no one told us about it. Um, yeah, it was, it was very stressful. I... Um, at one point, you know, my siblings, Layla and Raya, were younger than me. And they were, like, in tears and freaking out. And I was like, I'm just going to take you, like, over to the neighbor's house and get you out of the way. And as I was walking out, and my sister's crying, and my mom, I think Mama Bear came out, and she just goes, look into the eyes of my children and see who you're stealing from, which, of course, like, makes my sister cry harder. And she goes, I hope the Lord visits you in your dreams and you see the faces of my children. And I was like, let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but we were all kind of in this, like, stress, panic, like, feeling hurt and betrayed, like, the law had turned against us and we hadn't done anything wrong and this man claimed that we'd owed him like three years of rent because we made a verbal agreement with his father like a year before we moved into the house and a few months after his father had died but so clearly there was like bribery going on um, but through all of it I mean you may think like what a crazy story and people here were asking like are you coming back from the missions field? You know, like, clearly the law of the land has turned against you. Like, why would you stay? You've been, you know, hurt. There's nothing left for you to do there. I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but my family was like, no. Like, yeah, this is crazy, but through the whole thing, God protected us so clearly, you guys. We, um, we were at our neighbor's house. They took us in for a few days, and after that, um, a friend of mine let us stay in her apartment for a few months, and we were able to just stay there. We always had a roof over our head. My dad likes to joke that we actually gained weight while we were homeless because for the few days we were at our Indian neighbor's house, we had like amazing South Indian breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, and yeah, the whole time it was just so clear we had people coming around us from all sides offering us, you know, places to stay and, and food. and. The house we're in now, we're able to host um, discipleship groups and small groups and um, events in our yard. It's, it's bigger and more open than the one we had. And we've been able to, we have, you know, extra rooms where now we've been able to host people who also haven't been able to have a home for a period of time in Uganda. So, yeah, that's my story of the time God really proved his, his care for myself and our family. Amen. Thank you, Eliana. We show our love for God by loving people. And often, God shows his love for us through other people. And so I just want to encourage you, think about how the people of God 
uh, are showing love to you. And take that as a sign that God, through the Spirit, is reaching out and caring for you as well. Our second testimony is from Sky Johnston. Uh, Sky and his wife Virginia, they've been attending faith uh, for about almost a year, uh, along with their children, uh, Anderson and Elizabeth. Sky teaches at uh, Wheaton College, and he's going to come share uh, a story of faith with us as well. Um, well, one, one thing comes to mind, really, and that's um, the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, if you guys know it, especially this line, um, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither thy by, by thy help I've come. And uh, it comes from um, 1 Samuel 7.12, which reads, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Because uh, my wife and I have lived in a lot of different places, you know, we're, we're taking the academic route by choice. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you know, we don't often know where we're going to be living next year or what, you know, form of um, financial income we're going to have. Um, again, by choice, but it does uh, force you to rely on the Lord in a very tangible way. So this, this is sort of a way of us, um, you know, thinking about that, you know, Everywhere we go, everywhere that God takes care of us, we sort of raise an Ebenezer there, you know, in our minds, I guess. Um, so, you know, we can look back now and see those in the places we've lived, you know, Louisville, um, Bonn in Germany, San Diego, lots of other little towns in Germany, um, and, uh, you know, now here in Wheaton. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, I think I probably worry about the future as much as uh, anybody else, but um, it is it is really encouraging to look back, you know, like we have this model in Scripture and and sort of seeing God's faithfulness in each in each step along the way. Um, you know, sometimes you know I I think like oh man, it would be nice to have that stability, um, but then I also remember that um, you know in this world there really is is no um, ultimate stability, right? Especially um, in these times, a lot of people um, are feeling that. So, so then I feel, you know, sort of extra thankful for the experience that we've had and, you know, the opportunity to see, you know, very unmistakably that it's God that's providing for us, not just our circumstances or things like that that are taking care of themselves. Um, so, yeah, I hope that's, you know, a little perspective from our family that can be encouraging to you, um, because you know, in the material, in the material way, yes, we're all um, dependent on God, but you know, we are also right on our spiritual pilgrimage. And you know, there's another line in the verse, um, and I hope by that good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. And I don't know if anybody else is like me, but sometimes um, has had those uh, thoughts too about you know, safely arriving at our heavenly home. You know, I grew up in a uh, Christian tradition where the straight and narrow was very narrow, if you, if you know what I mean. Um, so that, that's, you know, that sort of lends itself to these sort of questions like, am I, am I doing the right things? Am I thinking the right things? You know, um, and again, I think it's just um, the same sort of thing God gives us. God tells us to look at the tangible ways that he's, he's taking care of us and let, let that be a... Uh, a sign, a lesson, a reminder to us that he's that he is gonna be faithful to us all the way um, to the end as well. So, um, you know, definitely for us now, um, 
this church, this community is one of our, one of our Ebenezer's because it's one thing in particular that we, that we pray about and trust God when we're moving to a new community is that we can, we can find a church um, that we can be a part of where, you know, we, we can be ministered to and where we can serve. So, um, you know, bring the story up to now. You guys are one of our Ebenezer here. So thank you all for that. Um, blessing us in a very tangible way. Thanks. Amen. Thank you, Sky. And uh, if I can uh, share a quick story of faith for me in regards to Sky in Virginia, uh, I think it, God orchestrated, I think, them uh, coming to our church over the past year. I was out to coffee with John Wilson. Remember, John? We were out to coffee. And uh, uh, I, I hope Virginia doesn't mind me telling the story, but okay, Sky says you're good. Okay. So I'm in, I'm in line for coffee, John's sitting outside, and I'm standing in line waiting for coffee, and I, I'm overhearing this woman in front of me, who is Virginia, and come to find out later she's a, a PhD student at Wheaton College. But I overhear these two women, two women in front of me talking, and uh, Virginia is saying, um, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to discern my, my call, and I'm looking for a denomination that would support women in ministry. And I, and I, and I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. And I'm right behind them. I'm hearing this whole thing. I'm like, do I say something, you know? <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, so after we ordered our coffee, I said, hey, I, I don't mean to interrupt or, or to eavesdrop, but I heard your conversation. I just wanted to let you know I'm, I'm a covenant pastor. The covenant supports women in ministry. Have you ever heard of the covenant? And said, no, I've never heard of the covenant. So I said, well, we'd love to come, uh, for you to come by sometime and visit. And then, uh, you know, the rest is history. So. It's cool how God orchestrates those small things, just going out for coffee, hearing a conversation. The Holy Spirit's always at work. So thanks for letting me share that. Uh, our next story of faith is uh, Ellie Philbrick. Um, you can come forward. She is a junior at Wheaton College. Most of you know Ellie. She just shared with us in our ministry to children. Uh, you've probably noticed I made both of our interns share a story of faith this week. <laughs> and thank you for coming. In line with the college girl trend, I heard there was three of us college girls speaking today, so <laughs> I'll carry on. God's faithfulness is easy to question. It's not always tangible until you look back. You can't always see it. I think physical suffering is one of those things that really makes us question how God remains close. I remember when I was diagnosed with Lyme's disease at age 12, I started to put a timeline on my life and how God should heal me by a certain time, and he would be faithful. <clears throat> I had plans. I decided I needed to be healed by the end of high school. Maybe by my senior year would be good. I had a final piano competition that was everything to me. Senior recitals, theater productions, intense farm work, and applying to colleges, my dream school of Wheaton. The problem was, symptoms are ever-changing with Lyme's. And at the time in high school, when my primary concern was uh, piano and theater and farm. Uh, I thought that losing my hair or having constant joint pain was the worst it could be. I can handle that. That's when I decided that my senior year of high school, I needed to be better because I couldn't have these symptoms in college. I wasn't, but God must have been faithful, right? Finally, I decided that the end of the summer before college would be a great time. In some ways, I was, or I thought I was, thinking that God really was faithful. Instead, new symptoms arose, and my college journey started off with the need for note-takers um, and 
breaks because of never-ending fatigue. Then there is anxiety, irritability. For those of you who don't know, Lyme's disease, a tick-borne illness, doesn't only affect your immune system or your joints, but also um, your brain. And it really causes uh, certain things like anxiety or irritability and anger, like nobody's business. Was God still faithful? Throughout this time, my dad was my best friend. He could relate in ways like nobody else could. I think this was one way in which God shows his faithfulness. My dad had lost his left eye and his left ear when he was 12. I asked him how he came to learn that God was still faithful amidst physical suffering. He said, think of it this way. Just because we're suffering and we're changing does not mean God does. His proximity to us never changes. He being impassable allows him to fully comprehend our suffering, but not to succumb to it. He already overcame that. In fact, he didn't even take Job out of his suffering, but he knew he would be a substitute for it one day. Dad reminded me that I was supposed to be born with Down syndrome. At six months old, there was um, spots on my brain and my neck in a scan, and the doctors told my parents to abort me. At seven months, the scans came back clear. God was faithful then, and he's faithful now. There was a purpose, my dad told me. Finally, year three of college. I've stopped putting timelines on God's faithfulness and what it should look like. It's not an immediate cause and effect. I still haven't figured out what it means to pray in faith for healing, like the woman who touched his robe. But as I look back, I see every person God put in my life as part of the purpose. I see how this disease has allowed me to comfort others with the comfort that God has given me. He's asked us to steward our suffering and to be grateful in it, not necessarily for it, but because he had overcome it already. His faithfulness never changes and his proximity is never less. I just choose to dwell, I had just chosen to dwell on my own answers rather than trusting in God's. As I mentioned in the children's sermon, he does always catch us when we fall. It just might be a little longer of a fall than we're ready for. I find encouragement in Psalm 62, 1 through 2. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I can never be shaken. Thank you. Thank you, Ellie, for sharing. Our next story of faith is a man named Brad Peel. And Brad and his wife, uh, Bonnie, is Brad here? I don't see Brad. Okay, there he is. Okay, thank you. I was getting worried for a second. <laughs> Brad and his wife, Bonnie, have been members of her church for over 50 years. And that, that itself is a testimony of God's faithfulness and their faithfulness. And Brad served as our church chair. He was very involved in our, our Vision 2020 project on our, on our committee. And uh, Brad, would you come and share with us this morning? Some of you may remember about two months ago, my very good friend, Gene Frost, stood up here. And he told about the impact that Faith Covenant Church has had on so many lives over its 50-plus years of existence. To paraphrase, and I can't say it as eloquently as Gene did, but he spoke about how our church, Faith Covenant Church, has impacted so many people who were in a particular period of, of their lives. It might have been a time of crisis, a period of transition, college students, somebody like Skye in Virginia, but they were in a period of transition. It was a time of their life that they decided to attend Faith Covenant Church. They were ministered to here, they grew in their faith, they made new friends, but then it came time for them to move on 
for whatever reason. They were here for a few years. And that reminds me of Philip Yancey. I know every one of you here has heard of Philip Yancey, the well-known Christian author and writer. We just heard this past week that Philip Yancey has 17 million books in print. Can you imagine that? 17 million books in print over I don't know how many languages and countries. And he was a member of Faith Covenant Church in the early 70s. And uh, we were in a small group with uh, Philip and his wife, Janet. And then it came time for them to leave, and they went down, and I believe they went to the LaSalle Street Church in the inner city. Now, Gene is a good friend of mine, so I can say this. When Gene sat down after his talk about the impact of our church on people who were kind of passing through, I literally, I think I got about an inch off my seat. I almost came up here and gave an impromptu speech. Would have been a disaster, I know. <laughs> but I, I wanted to tell Gene, you know, you only told half the story. You've only told half the story. For you and Barbara, and for many of us, Faith Covenant Church has been like a family. And for many people, we remain committed to our family. Through the ups and downs and the good and bad times, we never leave. So as um, Nate alluded to, uh, Bonnie and I have been members of this church for just over 50 years. I can still remember this. this we, Bonnie and I moved to Wheaton in the late 1970s, December 1970, and I can still remember uh, that summer evening in 1971. We drove down Butterfield Road. At that time, Butterfield Road was a two-lane, lightly-traveled road. And we looked over to the right, and um, we saw this signed Faith Covenant Church. So I was born and raised in the Covenant Church. Bonnie was a Lutheran, and, and uh, so we decided to, to give it a try. To put life again in proper perspective, in 1971, for those of you who are new to the area or who are very young, over here where Donata is, the shopping center and all the homes, uh, that was an open field. It was farmland. It was farmland. In fact, there was a farmhouse there, and a farmer lived in that house. And I'll give you one guess where he attended church. He attended right here at Faith Covenant Church, he and his family. So anyway, late 1971, we decided to consider joining, and I don't see Sandy Vanderkoy and uh, Sharon Gutowski here today, but they were, members, they were members of the same inquirers class as we were in late 1971. And then early 1972, we made the decision to join the church. And, uh, and so one cold January morning, 1972, here on sun Sunday in Peterson Hall, uh, uh, we joined the church. We became members. And I'll re I remember at the time it was still a shock because <laughs> we became members one Sunday, and the next Sunday our pastor, Delmar Peterson, resigned. <laughs> <laughs> I can still remember that. We were kind of taken back because uh, when we were initially attending our church, uh, Delmar made kind of a cold call. He just knocked on our door one day. We lived over in Arrowhead, and he came in and and told us about faith, and he played a big role in us joining this church. I don't like to talk a lot about, our, about ourselves. As I look out on this congregation today, I can, I can see five or six or seven families that Faith Covenant has been your family for 15, 20, 25 years, maybe longer. 
I'm not going to mention anybody, anybody by name because I'm afraid I'll forget someone, but I am going to mention Vic and Cynthia. Vic and Cynthia. Oh, there you are. Because Vic and Cynthia actually joined a year or two before we did. Were you charter members? Not quite. But what is really gratifying now is for us, for those of us who've been around for quite a while, for the last five or ten years, the second generation of adults who grew up in faith are now back here raising their families, and they are bringing their children. So we have the third generation. And needless to say, we're delighted that our daughter Betsy and Dan and, and her kids, they, Josiah and Karis, they're attending our church, which makes for a third generation. But we, we really have something to be thankful for to God for, and the fact that uh, here we are, 2022, and we have a new generation of older and younger families attending faith. A whole group of new people who, if God leads them, and hopefully he will, they'll decide to make Faith Covenant their church family as well, as we have. So we have a lot to be thankful to God for, for the leadership of Nate and what his staff and what they do. And Bonnie and I and other families as well are very grateful that many years ago we decided to make Faith Covenant Church our family. Thanks. Thank you so much, Brad. As, as you were sharing your testimony, the thought that came to my mind was how all of us in our journey of faith need stability. You know, children need a stable home, you know. So to grow up in our faith in Christ, there's a, there's a healing power when people are, are you have a, a stable relationship and friendship. And so I want to thank you and all of folks in that generation for your faithfulness to provide stability. Uh, and I think about... Um, Stan, what you shared at Ron Fordham's funeral. Ron, one of our, our, our longtime members as well, passed away a couple years ago. And Stan, in your speech, you said that he was a fixture. He was a fixture. And just, he, he, he wasn't the most outgoing, extravagant guy, but simply by being so faithful to show up week in and week out, he provided a healing sense of stability to our community. And you, have, you guys have done that. Brad and Bonnie, you've done that. Many others have done that. And uh, I think that's, that's important for us to remember in our story of faith. Our last uh, person sharing this morning is Megan Peters. She is a senior at Wheaton College. She's been with us now, I think, for almost four years, almost all, all four years of your time. And uh, before she graduates, I wanted to make sure that she came and shared her story of faith with us. And uh, we're glad to have you do so. I actually only went to Wheaton for three years, but thank you. Right. <laughs> um, I, first, I just want to say um, it's very refreshing to be part of a church who wants to hear the younger generation. Um, so thank you for wanting to hear from um, college students and, and younger people. Um, when I was 12 years old, my dad ran his first marathon and shortly after developed pneumonia. Uh, we figured it was just his body being worn out from intense training for months and months prior to running his marathon. But after struggling for multiple months, he finally agreed to go in. And when he did, they found fist, a fist-sized tumor in one of his lungs. Um, they brought him in for more intensive full-body scans and biopsies to see if it was cancerous. Not only did they find cancer in his lungs, they found it in his spine, his hip, his kidney, and his brain. 
Um, I was told I had one year with my dad at most. He picked Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 as his new inspiration, and my family caught right on to that. It reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him he endured on the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the next year and a half, my family watched and supported the best as we could, as the person my dad once was faded. He first lost his hair, then his ability to walk, and then eventually the ability to communicate, and then his life. For the first half of my freshman year of high school, a very important transitional time for many young people, I came home from school every day wondering if I would find my dad dead in the basement, or if he wasn't, would he remember me that day, or had the cancer spread back to his brain and had treatment failed once again. Um, on January 28th of 2015, he passed away in the local hospital while I was at youth group, and when I got home, my mom said two simple words, he's gone. I was plunged into chronic depression when I was around that age, and I struggled for many, many years. Every time I felt the slightest bit of progress towards feeling at least okay, I was hit with another major life event that nobody my age typically had to go through. My senior year of high school, I found myself in an abusive relationship in a few different ways. And I was diagnosed with a chronic health condition that causes weight gain, headaches, joint pain, infertility, and many, many more things. <laughs> I was told then that the only thing I knew I was called to be, a mother, was unrealistic and that I would most likely deal with being obese for the rest of my life. At the age of 17, I developed an eating disorder to curb the weight gain and wrestled with the idea that I could most likely never have biological children. I left my abusive relationship shortly before my freshman year of college, which I thought would be a fresh start finally on my life, and was committed to Bethel University in St. Paul of Minnesota. This would end up just being another traumatic experience. My first roommate cyberbullied me until I moved out of my room. And the second roommate that I was assigned not only slept in my bed when I went home for weekends because she missed the smell of me, um, but also had accidents in the corners and would follow me around campus. I needed out. I had never been so depressed or anxious in my life. And that says a lot. Um, my depression had only gotten worse through the years. I ruined relationships, wanted nothing to do with the church, and hated myself. I was doubtful that life could ever get better, and it showed. By God's grace, I got the courage to apply to transfer to Wheaton College. Not only did I get in, but I was provided enough financial aid to do so and to act on it. The last three years since I got to Wheaton College have been more than a blessing. About a year ago, I came off antidepressants for the first time, probably ever in the last nine years. 
Um, because I realized then when people asked me if I was okay or how I was doing, I was able to say that I was doing well and I wasn't lying for the first time in so long. Um, I joined the swim team at college at Wheaton last year. Um, I figured I took two and a half years off after high school and everyone was confused last year with COVID, so I might as well be confused with them. Um, so I joined the swim team. <laughs> um, and this year in particular, I have experienced more joy than I ever thought was possible. I always thought people were exaggerating when they said or talked about what finding joy in the Lord meant. Um, I often pause in amazement at how far I've come. Walking back from lunch with friends, a daily occurrence, in the middle of class, or finding myself in the living room with five girls I have come to know and love and live with. These types of moments stop me in my tracks. The opportunities that I've had to love people this year, whether on the swim team or on or in other relationships have given my life purpose. The people that God has put in my life remind me of what it's like to truly be loved. And I don't know, do you have the picture that I sent in possibly? No, it's okay. There's a picture of my family um, that was taken at my last ever swim meet this year. And we're all in this like big group hug. And we didn't know we were being uh, photographed. And somehow, by chance, I was sent a post on Instagram of me with my family. I have no idea who posted this. I was just sent the picture. And I'm now able to have a physical copy of Joy. The photo is what Joy looks like and what love feels like. And it's only a glimpse of the love that the Lord has for me. I graduate two weeks from today. If you would have told me this three years ago, I would not have believed you. I didn't think I'd live to see it, and some, sometimes I hoped I didn't. Um, and yet here I am. That being said, God is so good. And how great is our God? How wonderful is the race set before me? And how, how, oh my gosh, and oh, how excited I am to keep on running. So thank you. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Megan, for sharing with us. I'm going to invite the choir to come up and respond to this, these testimonies that we've heard. Uh, we've talked about the word overcome, stories of faith, faith through the struggle, through the ups and downs, but relying upon our God who is good and redeems us. So let's have the choir sing.